This is Coda Radio, episode 308, for May 14th, 2018. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, like that old guy in the Matrix at the end of the movie that doesn't really make any sense, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Ergo, apropos, <laughs> something, something, extra crispy chicken. Uh, you you could have done improv, I think, you know, because I gave you no heads up on that intro. None. <laughs> None whatsoever. Mr. Dominic, it's good to be connected with you. Old man tendencies aside, I think we're going to have a pretty good episode today. That doc is packed. I didn't even see, like, there's no feedback in there. There's no hoopla in there. It's really the best of two worlds and maybe even a third world this week. Yeah? You agree with my assessment of our show? It's it's just the full uh, white meat breast of the chicken. Yeah. Dare I say it's the colonel's bucket. Like the colonel would have it, exactly, with his secret exactly. recipe in there. Speaking of delicious, crispy chicken, I want to make a little announcement here on the show. I'm going to be in Texas, Austin, Texas, June 8th through the 9th, Texas Linux Fest. I'm all about it. I'm going down there. I'll be making the trip towards the end of May. I'll have the rover tracker with me if people want to meet up along the way. And I'm going down June 8th through the 9th in Austin, Texas, when it's unbearably hot and undoubtedly going to destroy my RV in some way. And I'm going to be there representing Jupiter Broadcasting and hanging out with Linux Academy folks and just having a great time in general. So if you are in the Austin area and want to get some gross, sticky barbecue with me, delicious, let's, let's admit it, let's admit it's delicious. Uh, let no, me know. Yeah. I'll probably have a Telegram group that I set up. I'll probably organize that in our main Telegram group, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash Telegram. We'll fork it. And we'll have a Texas meetup. I want to get that out there now because uh, people on the delay give them a little time. You know, it's about a month away. How are you doing, Mr. Dominic? I, I was reading from your Twitter feed. I discovered that bots are dead and they're not going anywhere. So that's a good start to my morning. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm just catching up on the tech news. Uh, and uh, yeah, bots suck now. <laughs> it's not today's topic. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not today's topic. Today's topic. I'm really looking forward to sort of busting through sort of the best bits of Google I.O. and Microsoft build as it applies to developers, which really these conferences ostensibly are supposed to be about. So you want to start with uh, Microsoft build since that was what started first chronologically? Let's do it. They have this new partnership uh, with DJI, which is the creator of my favorite brand of drones, to do a Windows 10 drone SDK. I actually wasn't clear if Windows 10 was involved or not, but I know that yeah, there's a is. partnership. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did you grok? Um, there, this is a... a Interesting announcement, but doesn't quite have any details. So apparently, you know, Microsoft has this whole thing where just like they're really angling, and this is going to come up in a couple of other things, to be the development platform that you want to be working on. Mm. Now, to be clear, that is not my assertion. That is, is there apparent desire? Because all of these things run through Azure, right? Um, and they're coming up with this Windows 10 powered a drone SDK with uh, this company, DGK, DJK, rather. DJI? DJI, rather, I'm sorry. And it's 
interesting because when I think drones, I'm definitely looking for a blue screen, which is now like a weird mauve color. But Oh, look go. at you going for the easy joke. I oh. just go for the easy joke. You know why? All right. So I have read three articles about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet no one seems to know, like, how does this actually work? Mm -hmm. What is the hardware compatibility? Do I have to buy a DJI drone? Right. Or will this be an open SDK? Or is this going to be something kind of like the Lewis Cognitive Engine, where it's really like an SDK API service hybrid? I bet you it has the makings of both. So if you were going to start with a single drone manufacturer that is in the prosumer and in the Hollywood space and in the like government um, contract workspace, DJI nails that sweet spot. They make the Phantom 4 Pro that I own, but they also make like these massive dual camera, dual operator rigs for job site inspections, for Hollywood film productions. So it's a, it's a huge platform. If you were just going to target a single manufacturer, they would be the one. But if I was going to bet the bits that are unique to DJI – are just the on-device stuff because this is big. This is a long-term play for Azure IoT, and they call they consider these DJI drones part of the Azure IoT Edge. These are Edge devices. That's what they kept saying in build is these drones are Edge devices. It all comes back to Azure, though. And as does our next item they released, right? The, or are announcing the Connect Cloud yeah. as an Azure service. I don't even or rather Connect in the cloud. What does what that mean to you? What do you think that so, means? So you remember the Connect from the Xbox, I, I, I imagine. Of course. Yeah, I have um, it on my iPhone 10 now. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> savage. Uh, well, the Connect was actually a really cool um, kind of platform to do, like, visual processing. And I, I've been to, like, meetups where people are doing robotics. Like, they just, like, use the Connect as a sensor to the robot. Yep. And it makes a ton of sense. A lot of good stuff there. And then Microsoft said, man, we're not making any money. So they killed it. Right. Well, to be fair, Apple bought PrimeSense, the company that actually created yeah. the, the Connect actually technology. Connect, yeah. um, but and now you have an emoji. No, I'm kidding. But what they're basically claiming from what I could get, and I could see this, is you have like certain types of depth sensors that are just generally available now. And you put that on whatever device you want, and then they have the back-end infrastructure to do like the actual depth mapping, math, and all of that stuff. And they're calling it yes. cheaper to deploy. Uh, again, for these edge devices, but cheaper, except oh. for all the processing's done on this pay for hourly service. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there is a problem uh, that I have discovered with all of these Azure offerings. They're pretty cool, and they are virtually free to get started with. But once you hit like, I don't know, numbers greater than double digits, things start getting pretty pricey. Uh, versus just like buying hardware and of course the, the 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 bigger problem too is hey if you don't have a connection you're screwed oh we don't ever talk about that problem that's not a problem we talk that's about. A, like a real problem <laughs> I'm no, saying. Like, we don't discuss yeah. that because then you're like one thing i'm seeing people pitch is like lte chips and all this stuff mm-hmm. like so now we're paying a carrier 40 bucks a month to do this mm-hmm. uh, what mm-hmm. like yep. it, it it is cool that they can do this all in the cloud but, I mean, we, we, should, we should finish up our, our roundup of MS Build, but I do have a question for you, but let's wait. Oh, really? All right, well, so— For you personally, yes, you individually. Okay. So uh, the thing that jumped out to both of us, I think, was the demos of Visual Studio Live Share. Uh, this is confusing because there is Visual Studio Live, 
which is a community like um, event for people that use Visual Studio. And now we have Visual Studio Live Share. And the share part's the important part. It's like Google Docs for Visual Studio. And it allows Visual Studio exactly. code programmers and Visual Studio proper developers to work together as well. Pretty nice, Mike. Pretty, pretty nice. For education and even for and for remote teams, this looks amazing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it works in VS Code and not just, you know, Big Daddy Visual Studio, this 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 is like a game changer. Like even if you have uh, you know, just like one remote person or you're teaching or something, I can this is um you remember Cloud Nine we talked about um about a couple years ago they were they're one of those cloud ids there's a lot of them now there's a coding with a k because we're cool like that and this is significantly more powerful than that and it's an id that your students are likely to actually use in a work environment so bonus points for that that is and i don't and they are not charging for the usage of it is my understanding so did you walk away with any general impressions of build? I watched uh, the first day almost entirely. Uh, yes. And I kind of regretted not going because so much of the subject matter up on stage involved either a Linux host or a Docker container running on Linux or something on Azure that's running Linux or an IoT product that's going to be using Linux. I felt like there was as much Linux up on Microsoft stage as there was up on Google I.O. stage. So we can get to that. but. What was your impression of build? All roads lead to Azure. Oh, man, right? That's why Linux was mentioned so much is because yeah. as a function of Azure. That's, that it was a symptom, not the reason. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. They are an Azure so, company now, 100%. They are an Azure company now. You, see, I think I'm actually less hot on it than you. You seem So, okay, I said I had a question for you. Right? I mean, Office is going to be tied into Azure. I mean, it's all, right. it's all, all Azure. Yeah. When you were doing network administration and IT administration, did you ever have to like write up the potential like risk of a project? Oh, for sure. Or, like, yeah. what are, if everything requires an Azure connection, that seems problematic, particularly in the spaces where one might actually want to use a connect like visual sure. sensor this, or, you know, the DGI drone SDK from Microsoft. So today, as you and I record, I don't know why we're speaking, to be honest with you. I've, I'm, I have a consistent 1.1% packet loss right now over my internet connection, which is almost always enough to screw up a VoIP connection. So just be prepared. You and I may have issues. The stream is having issues. Um, this crops up. Comcast is literally the only ISP that services the studio area. It's a, it's a monopoly here. And about once a year, we start having massive problems. And it's been like that um, for a decade now. It's it's really frustrating. So I I've, I really have experienced a lot of connectivity problems. I, I wrote a couple of nasty, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not really, I shouldn't, I shouldn't admit this because I feel really bad in, in retrospect, but I wrote a nasty gram to a service provider of ours who is responsible for doing some of the backend processing of some of our shows. And then, then they spit it out to scale engine and they spit it out to, YouTube and all these other places. And they were having just failure after failure after failure after failure. And it was getting really frustrating. And I, I wasn't like a mean email, but I was like, guys, we have got to fix this. I can't continue to use your service if you don't figure out your scaling problem. And then I realized, nope, it was Comcast again. It, it had become my annual acting up of Comcast. And it's so frustrating because we have so much of the studio dialed in post Linux Fest Northwest. I'd say the studio itself is 100% 
for the first time in many years. And now my internet is crapping out on me. It's really quite frustrating, Mike, because I, I, I feel like I live in a parallel universe where I don't have good connectivity, but everyone around me has great connectivity. I feel the exact same way, but I, I don't think it's just us. I mean, even like writing software for LTE connected devices. Yeah. You know what? I've been last week I was driving across part of the country. You really places, feel it when you're traveling. Yeah. You really feel it. When you, there are places where I simply like barely have a connection. If it's not like if audio audibles books aren't downloaded on my phone, yep. they're not playing. The tracker I have in the RV is a specific piece of hardware that uses the edge network or whatever, like the lowest, the lowest, like most like deployed network possibly is because right. it's just right. sending location updates. And even that thing, there's large stretches of the United States I drive through where I, I have gone through large, huge chunks where the tracker just has no connectivity, even though it's a multi-band. It's just, it's just, there's no signal. There's no yeah. commercial interest to put infrastructure there. Yeah, there was like a 15, 20-minute swath. I was driving through Georgia last week where I just had nothing. Yeah. Right, yep. no, nothing. Yeah. It does make you rethink all this cloud stuff. Uh, and uh, we've also had conversations about how many cloud services we rely on JB so that way when I'm traveling, the shows can still get edited and produced. Right. <laughs> it's a real problem. Um, but Microsoft is willing to monetize that problem. And that's why I think they're going to be one of the most successful players at this because they have the strongest on-premises, on-cloud story. So they can say, well, is is your connectivity weak? Do you need the speed and efficiency of on-premises? Well, we can build you a solution or you can build a solution using our technologies or a partner of ours can that will that will scale between them seamlessly. So when you need the extra compute power and you have the connectivity, we'll offload to the cloud. And when you need something that's just local, we'll all be on-premises. And to that end, besides Microsoft Build and besides Google I.O. this week, Red Hat Summit was also going on. And there was a massive announcement, which I covered in Linux Action News, so I'll be really brief. There was a massive announcement between Microsoft and Red Hat. And they are working together to do a fully managed Microsoft is going to fully manage a Red Hat solution of on-premises up to Azure using Red Hat OpenStack. So you can you, you can you can choose during the deployment of the server if you want it to be on your on-premises servers that's behind your firewall or if you want to spin it up on Azure or if you want to live migrate a system all on Red Hat all done by picking up the phone and calling Microsoft and saying please or going through the dashboard and please allocate these resources. So they're willing to monetize that problem. They're going to create the very problem, and then they're going to monetize the solution, and that's why they're going to make so much stinking money. True. But I would add that things <laughs> like the Lewis Cognitive Engine, um, and my understanding is this uh, Connect uh, as yep, a Service. Right. Yep, fair. Do not have that option. You're, yep. And I know I And you've you got to figure know, it's more yeah. and more, right? It's just going to be more and more. I think that's a totally fair point. And the well, Google for, stuff and the Amazon stuff yeah. doesn't offer that. It's just the Microsoft stuff, really. Yeah, but for, for these embedded solutions, places where you might be using, particularly the Connect as a Service uh, uh, option, it seems crazy that it requires the connection, right? It, 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 and perhaps there's some caching, and like maybe that's not true, but I don't know how that could be possible, right? It just It seems, I think you're right, ultimately, that their endgame is that you just always have to have a connection, and if you don't, yeah. stuff just doesn't work. Well, or you you build around it. So you build a system where um, if it has to connect, if it has to talk to the cloud, 
then the clients batch upload and send the processing job to a server system. Yeah, but for things like a drone that's operating at yeah. whatever speeds and for things like visual processing, right. you can't batch process. You have to just They're going to have to create that. local software for that kind of stuff. They'll have to. They have to for like the I think it's funny you say that. The DJI drone is the perfect example. You cannot guarantee connectivity when that thing's 500 feet up in the air doing 40 miles per hour. You can't guarantee right. that. So it's got to do local processing. Um, and so perhaps perhaps the big dirty secret of all of this stuff is to make it all work, they're going to have to write more robust local software. Wouldn't that be funny? Oh, there's a more <laughs> frightening dirty secret that oh, you're yeah? just going to have to pay for LTE chips and everything. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's just going to end up happening. You're like, right. You're, yeah. you're unfortunately yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just 5G, Mike. 5G is going to solve it all. It's going to solve it all, Mike. And IPv6. I, I heard that a long time ago. It was called 3G. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know. All right. Let's take a moment and thank Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. I mention this right now because as we're talking about all of this foundational stuff, Linux Academy is where you can go to wrap your head around it. Self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. If it runs Linux or Linux is capable of running on it and you can monetize it, you can make a living, you can add something to your resume, think Linux Academy. You want to learn more about any of this stuff, they have hands-on scenario-based labs give you experience on real servers. They have series of learning paths that are set up and ready to go for particular types of content. And if you're busy, which I totally understand, they have a course scheduler. You pick a course and a set of time frame and like a goal framework that you want to stick to, and then they'll work with you to meet those goals. They have flashcards that are literally forked by the community. The community is packed full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, and they'll spin up cloud servers as you need them, or when you want just like a deep dive on a single topic, they'll give you like this one inclusive take on, say, firewalls on Linux, or file permissions on Linux, or setting up Nginx, like an entire inclusive capsule take on that one singular topic, which I love. But the best part, and this is a massive investment on Linux Academy's part, is their instructor mentoring. Full-time human instructors that are happy to advise and answer questions. And when you're not asking questions, they're revising, improving, and creating new content. So that way, your subscription is always getting more value. Start by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Sign up there for a free seven-day trial and support the show. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Okay, so that's build. Do we have Google I.O. things we want to get into now? I think I think Google I.O. for me was maybe the more interesting conference because I was going in looking for a very couple of specific things, and I may have actually gotten them this year. But what about you? How was Google I.O. for Mike? Um, I thought it was interesting, but I found it somewhat disappointing. Really? This Except was the for, I.O. I enjoyed. That's interesting. I... I feel like a lot of the things that are relevant to the show for I.O. are too little too late, particularly the Android stuff. I leave it to you. Well, I'm, I'm just curious in what regard, like which one? Oh, sure. So let's just jump ahead then. Let's say uh, Android Jetpack, right? Which in a lot of ways, and I think they basically said this, is the Android support libraries just like better and with prefab code that helps you do things, and that's great. Would have been great about five years ago. Okay, so okay. I don't know many people who are from. like okay. right. There are not many mm. people in in the world, frankly, <laughs> who yeah. are like finely tuning and finely crafting Android apps and making any money. 
natively, right? Most Android is at best an afterthought in mm. the in the wider mobile community. I do see where you're coming from, and I took a little bit of a detached view this year because uh, I I did something that I think was the best move I've made in a long time. Is I told myself. I'm not going to buy a Pixel 1 or 2. I'm going to wait for the Pixel 3. When they announced the Pixel, I said, nice. I'm going to wait for the third iteration. And when I did that, I, I, I got emotionally de-invested in what happens to Android. And I was able to sit back and look at it from a way bigger picture standpoint. The momentum of Android is so massive, you can't really compare it to iOS. And so when they announce stuff, and it's like, it's years out, it doesn't matter because... Android is a is a 20-year-long platform. It will be as dominant as long as Windows was, if not longer, I believe. And when you look at it in that context, I think some of these things are more important and have less of a disappointment factor that they haven't arrived sooner. And so when I had that perspective of watching what's coming into P, Android P, I, 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 am, I, I had this sense of finally, it's going to take years but finally, they're addressing core complaints I have had about developing software for Android and the security of Android. I am frustrated that it is not here yet. But if I tell myself, you're not even considering an Android device until the fall, which will undoubtedly run an Android P. So if, you, if, if, if I change my mindset, it, it, it's, it's great. This, this eventually is all stuff that's going to be great. So I just had a total different perspective on it. So what are the things that you're you're talking about? Like I, I'm sure you're going to love the security thing because we yeah, both have it in the yeah, doc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the security stuff is the big is the big stuff. Um, in a lot of ways, it's it's more iOS. In a way, uh, I would say it's it's more iOS in a way, but not not like a ripoff. Uh, for example, uh, background processes will no longer have access to your mic or the motion sensors or the GPS data unless you implicitly run a foreground notification that the user, that they say will be more transparent to the user. So in other words, you can't have a rogue background process listening over the mic. They are going to beat Apple to DNS over TLS, which is going to be great for DNS verification. If you, if you are a TechSnap listener, you know the problems that that is going to solve. And lockdown mode, I, I really would like to see Apple steal this one wholesale. They're close. And they do have like an emergency mode that you can put the phone in if you mash the keys down. But this is slightly better. So first of all, like Apple's, it disables all the biometrics, fingerprints, face ID kind of stuff, all that. It also dis- disables Android Smart Lock, which is like if your phone is nearby or a Bluetooth device is nearby, it'll auto unlock. Uh, and no notifications get displayed on the lock screen when you go into lockdown mode. And Google up on stage literally said this is going to be great if you're traveling abroad and you need to get uh, through a security checkpoint. And then... for div- Fifth Amendment mode. <laughs> that, I wish they would call it that. That would be great. Uh, and then just one thing I just appreciated is they, they've announced Strongbox, which is a, a new type of secure key store, and it's, it's built to protect against like side-channel attacks, and there's some new side-channel GPU attacks specifically for Android that, again, we just covered in TechSnap that are, are kind of scary. Because they're 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 possible via like just JavaScript to do side channel GPU memory attacks and then get access to somebody's Android device. And Strongbox has been specifically built for those types of attacks. It's going to be an Android P, but they're backporting some of the stuff to Android N, 
which I also really appreciate. I got, anyways, I got a great talk. What's new in Android security linked in the show notes, coder.show, if you want to see the whole thing there. But it was a good talk and I am very, very, very thankful. Uh, but last but not least, for the love of Sergey, something that Google should have done before they went to their first carrier to pitch Android, something that I have given them a hard time since episode one of the show may finally be getting addressed. And it was a sub headline of IO and it should have been the headline. Mm. Google is going to require OEMs to roll out quote, regular Android security patches as part of the OEM agreement to get Android P and their, their details are totally light, but this is, this is a multi-year process that Google has been building towards. Um, they, they, they announced Project Treble, which isolates out the system on the chip drivers and the Android kernel and the Android uh, user land bits from those two things so they can be updated independently. That was a massive step towards this. And now building on Treble, they're able to start saying, look, we've given you an isolation layer. You've got to start playing ball now because we've taken out a huge part of the risk. I, I don't know if there's any punishment clauses built into this OEM agreement. I don't know if they're saying you must do monthly. But again, in that YouTube video I have linked in the show notes, it's like within the first couple of minutes. They start so, out, they talk about treble, and then they move into uh, the uh, I, uh, the uh, update stuff. I completely disagree. <gasps> that hurts deep down it's inside. Not, it, it's, it's, first of all, there's no details, right, which you, which you admit, so I'm not going to pillow mm-hmm. you for that. Yeah. It shouldn't be security updates. It should be if the hardware is capable of running this update, you'll have it within 30 days. That serves two purposes. People get updates and, you know, don't get their phones awfully hacked like you can read about it all day long on Reddit. <laughs> or, or end, not or, end, it will discourage uh, device manufacturers and carriers from doing bloatware because no big company, I'm thinking of you, Verizon, yeah, is capable of shipping an empty box in 30 days. So overnight, we would have stock or near-stock Android. Maybe. For the majority of new devices. I don't think it's that dramatic. I, can I, can I, I, I actually isolated the very moment uh, from the talk. I'll play it for you. It does give some details, and then let's discuss. So this includes things like testing infrastructures. It also includes our security patching programs. We've been working really hard on that. A couple of things we've been investing in. We've been trying to make Android just easier to patch. So Google, we have a, a, a pretty steady track record for years now, every single month, delivering those patches to the market. But we want to make sure that all Android OEMs are delivering patches regularly to their devices as well, not just Google's devices. And so making Android more modular, like with projects like Treble, really helped contribute to that. We've also worked on building security patching into our OEM agreements. Now, this will really be a massive lead to a massive increase in the number of devices and users receiving regular security patches. So we're really, secu- we're really excited about that. Now, the thing that he adds at the beginning is they're also offering testing infrastructure to these OEMs, Google-hosted testing. That could yeah, maybe okay, grease the wheels. It's, so, so there's two problems, right? The, the, the problem I think you're referring to is that the basic business model of like a phone manufacturer is I sell you a phone and you is defined as the carrier in most cases. Right. Right. 
then all value in that phone is no longer mine, right? I, you, I got my $300, $400, whatever it is, and I'm out. So they have no incentive, right? And, and that is, you're right, I think the, the challenge that they're addressing there. My objection is that it shouldn't be security updates. It should be you will take stock Android, period. Yeah, especially when you consider, like, um, the thing that I'm really excited about is really going to be an Android P only feature, and that's Strongbox, the new key store. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and as a developer, you can't count on Strongbox being available unless the vast majority are using P. And that's why I come back to you got to take like a five year view with Android. Yeah, I. It means in you know in three four years you can count on this stuff being on the majority of devices. But their intention, so. their intention, though, they said this in that talk, their intention is to close that gap with Project Treble and stuff like that. Yeah, how many projects have they had to f- fix this issue, right? How many? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I hope yeah. you're right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been burned too many times. I just... One thing that was interesting, though, and I think a lot of our audience will like this ML kit, yes. which is a machine learning mm-hmm. library or set of functionality... But they're taking a page out of the Microsoft playbook here. It's available on Google Firebase. <laughs> Those yeah. beautiful monthly subscription fees. ML kit for Firebase. Woo! So I am not a big Firebase guy. I've played with it a little. I know a lot of folks tend, especially in like Google Android developers, tend to use it a lot because it's deep integration. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, but once again, it's one of these you pay per usage type services. And... Well, I was unable to dig up firm pricing uh, at the time that I made the doc for MLKit. I, I knowing what like Microsoft charges for the Lewis engine and other people in this space, uh, I forgot the name, but Watt.ai or whatever it is, it's, it's going to be costly. And it's, given that it's targeted at Android developers who are not making money, it seems a little problematic. I mean, I, yeah, I agree you know, with that. The, yeah, I mean, j- just like taking my DJI drone 10,000 feet in the air here. <laughs> Actually, 700 is the limit. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't say it would fly anymore. <laughs> I'm just launching it. <laughs> I'm in Florida. There's rockets all the time. Just launch it up. Hey. It, it, see, I feel like both of these events were the Microsoft and Google trying to put up toll booths for independent developers saying, here's our stuff. You can use it and... You're going to pay for the usage, yeah. which is fine. I'm yeah. not like, uh, yeah. you know, you're right. RMSing out, but it, 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 it makes the Apple tax seem a little more simple because at least the Apple tax, you know, you're giving up 30%. I'm, I'm of course talking about the app store tax. Uh, this like particularly with Azure, that ramps way up really fast. Business? I think this is creating an yeah. opportunity for an open source project that can solve some of these, like, like, like this ML kit. This this could be something that open source tackles one day. And I think there are a couple in the works. In fact, this is kind of a, a plea there to are. the audience. Uh, if there's any you have experience with, let me know. Coder.show slash contact. Send it in. That'll go to both Mike and us. I'd love to know. Uh, yeah. I know Wes has played with a couple. and uh, yeah, There's could... there's, o- there's open NLP that does part of yep. this, uh, yeah, yeah, yep. which is from the Apache Foundation, which is very good. I've, yep. I've done some work in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, think I, I think we've covered on at least one of the JB shows, but... Uh, it makes me it makes me wonder if there isn't a market uh, as these uh, hosted solutions come up. They'll make maybe a certain consumer base aware. 
So maybe maybe there's a market in helping people figure out how to set that up and get it working. I don't know. Because that was my takeaway too is – and I didn't come up with – your analogy of toll booths is really apt. That's exactly what it is, is all of these – they're making it possible to scale and and have infrastructure that would never be available to a beginning developer. But there is a toll at every single on-ramp to this thing. And the tolls are just adding and adding and adding. And pretty soon, instead of spending $15,000 for a server in Iraq somewhere, you're just going to have a $15,000 a month AWS or 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 uh, uh, Google, Google bill or, or Azure bill. And – and of course, obviously, that's 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 already arrived for many people. But I'm talking small shop developments, the development shops that would maybe buy independent hardware here, or try this thing on this little thing here, or try a crazy project. Now, for everything they want to try, there is a cost associated with getting going. Once you blow through your initial, uh, uh, and there's credits. a lot of lock-in. I mean, yeah, lock-in too. Yeah, yeah. So I, for some reason, I'm putting on my hippie hat today, and uh, must be all that pop I, OS. It's all that pop. I am on pop right now. Um, I am finding some of this stuff very reminiscent of like the early 2000s, late 90s. I was going to say the late 80s, early 90s, actually. It's because like it goes in cycles. It goes in cycles, right? Yeah, like I don't know. I mean, yeah, of, of, of course, like a Docker container can be deployed anywhere. But once you get out of that, see, I feel like there's like multiple levels, multiple tiers yes. of embracing the cloud here. Yes. Like if you're if you're. Once you know what you're doing, I'm not, I mean, people get got locked into AWS for a long time because they made mistakes. But if you like write a Docker container for like your, your, your Java Spring app or your Rails app, you can basically deploy that anywhere, right? Um, just like with any other containerization technology. But once you start using these, I, I, I want to use the uh, term that I know is not super popular anymore platform as a service offerings, you get, deeply locked in like if you're using let me just i'm going to pick on microsoft if you're using the lewis cognitive engine it's really hard not to use that but the prices go up pretty significantly um if you're i'm sure it's the same with ml kit and fire i know i mean i've seen uh done reviews of apps with uh firebase as their back end and that's just like its own thing right like you your code is implementing a firebase sdk so if you wanted to rip that out and then have like a uh, your own, you know, Rails API or whatever, or you know .NET backend, you have a lot of work ahead of you. But the more you use, the more expensive this crap becomes. Um, and I and I agree with your about small dev shops in particular. It's really easy to throw in a credit card and pay like you know ten dollars here, twenty dollars there, till you have a bad month and it's like, did I just spend a thousand dollars on web services? Yeah. Yeah. For stuff that's just like running a small thing in a clo- that would have been a server in a closet, <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. It's, Boy, it's the angry coder podcast, I guess. I mean, I think it's just uh, I think it's a symptom of uh, everything still kind of transitioning. We're right, it's just just kind of maybe not. I was going to say smack dab in the middle of a transition, but I actually don't think that's true. We are um, on the other end of the curve now. Like the no, trend, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, you like yeah. we're in. We're we're like we're like. Uh, well, on the other side, and now it's sort of the reckoning <laughs> is what it is. The reckoning I, I th- occurs. Yeah. I think the challenge now is, you know, because you're correct. I mean, even as a small shop, the idea of me, like, buying servers for a couple thousand, like, four or five thousand a unit is crazy. I, I wouldn't do that now. 
Right. I wouldn't do it. And you know what? What if the power goes out? I do live in a state that yeah. gets hurricanes, right? I have bad internet connect- connectivity here. But a, a real thing that has to go into like architecting solutions is how do I minimize my usage costs here? Right. And you can do that with like high intensity processing tasks that are just like, you know, input output. You offload on something like Lambda or functions, right? The serverless model. Um, it, it, it has weirdly affected how I think about architecting solutions. Um, it made me, I would say, actually take on more, I want to say thought, like more thought and care and to say, what can I pull out of the main app and make its own little service that runs in a way that's optimized uh, financially? for these different offerings. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the, so the reason why I used the phrase transition earlier is because it, it, there is plus and minuses to this whole thing. Uh, like I just, I just redid some of the JB uh, digital ocean droplets because I was like, well, I used to do it this way, but now I'm going to do it this way. And I was at a moment where I was like, I have, I have a rig here that has, when you consider hyperthreading, 24 available cores 62 or 64 gigabytes of RAM and over 24 terabytes of storage on my LAN. I could easily spin up a couple of VMs and do what I need on that system without using a single droplet. Sure. So I'm looking at this thing, but I I still ended up, what I ended up doing was I kind of consolidated. I went from like three droplets to one droplet. And uh, I, because it's, there's still, there's still like a, because my time is limited and now I'm the one managing all of this and uh, all of those things that go along with that, all that baggage, there's still a massive pro to me just having somebody else's infrastructure manage this. The fact that I can just upload my SSH keys once, forward the DNS once, and then I can move it around in, di- in between different droplets. This isn't an ad. This should be. This, maybe this should be, but... Um, the fact that I can, the fact that I can just create additional block storage that having to order hard drives and then put them in a rig. Um, and then I can, I, I, like I started with one type of system and I decided, eh, I don't like that as much. And I just destroyed it. And then I just created another system and then connected it to the same data sets. Um, I was like, yeah, this, that is, that is a type of flexibility that paying a monthly service gives me that does feel worth it. Even though I have a system in my garage here that is fully capable, I can't do those kinds of things with it. And when I'm in a small business situation where it's very limited money, very limited time, very limited resources, paying a monthly cost to solve that problem is very much worth it. So it, but, but at the same time, like I I re-looked at what we're doing, like, but I don't need to run three systems now. Like that's too much. Like I, I don't need that. I mean, in total, in total, we probably, I probably have like eight droplets these days. But for Jupiter Broadcasting specifically, it was, it was really these systems that I was looking at. I don't need those anymore. I don't need to just be running the clock on those. Like they were created because it was, it was a zero cost, zero effort problem. Like, oh well, we could, we could just have a droplet do that for us. Yeah, all right, go, go, just go spin up another Ubuntu box real quick or go spin up an Arch box that we won't patch for two years. Uh, it was too easy. And so we just, we created a whole bunch of them to do different things that if I had just sat down and tried to architect something from the beginning would have been much more sustainable, which is what I went, ended up going back and redoing. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much that I, I pulled out of the cloud. It was, well, how can I more appropriately balance using the cloud with now on-premises large storage and computing? And and I think I struck the balance pretty well. 
I should put a, I should just put a talking about DigitalOcean, uh, do.co slash coder, go there for a $100 day, $100 credit for, for 60 days with a new account. Um, because I just talked about DigitalOcean. That wasn't an ad. That's just genuinely work I did. But do.co slash coder. So that way we'll just, we'll consider that all part of the ad now. <laughs> now, that, now that we did that. So that way you know, I, don't, I don't have to tell you guys about it twice. You know what's up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's what it is, right? It becomes an optimization architectural management game. Yeah. And you have to like pick your pros and cons. Like uh, for me, it was worth, you know, 60 bucks or whatever. It's going to end up being 45 bucks a month for those systems to have that flexibility that when all of a sudden I have a wild hair uh, or I have a free afternoon, I can go solve a problem to have something that I can work with super quick was worth that little extra premium, even though we've, we spent the money for the system in the garage. So it's, it's really kind of like, but you have to kind of be, I guess maybe that's the new level of expertise. Instead of being like somebody who was an expert at solving infrastructure local problems now you have to be an infrastructure cloud guru who knows like yeah. when it's better to go cloud hosted versus local could be yeah, a whole niche I think, the, I think the cases for local are are dwindling pretty quickly <clears throat> outside of like specialty markets well except for when we come to connectivity and things like that but that's a topic for well, another yeah, show i suppose that's a topic for another show. do you want to do overall impressions of both of them like what were your takeaways i feel like we just did right yeah any others yeah, so what uh, I mean, PWAs, Google made a big deal about, which if you're Google, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Microsoft didn't mention it as well. I, I, In general, I mean, Google, of course, had their AI thing, but that's not a huge opportunity for developers. So much. Oh, God, though. So much talking about AI. So much. A little bit too heavy on the AI in both fronts. Like It's just it's parody. It's like parody material. Like if Saturday Night oh, Live it, it, cared, they could have parodied. Yeah, them. right. Or it's like an episode of Silicon Valley. Yeah, right. It, it's. Um, no, I, I think that's it. I mean, that we, I have a best in show and I know. Do, yeah, I want to do, do those. You want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll do. Well, mine's pretty obvious. You heard how excited I got. I really think Google requiring OEMs to roll out regular Android security patches is going to be a long term great thing for the Android ecosystem. It's going to take us a while. You're going to have to be on Android P to really enjoy it. But the fact that they're finally baking that in to the OEM agreement, which is a step they should have made from day one. Uh, I, I think that I. I I think that should have been the headline story out of IO, but that's my favorite thing coming out of them. What about you? Yours wasn't even out of IO. Yours was from Build, isn't it? No, mine was from Build. Um, I think the Visual Studio live share is the most important thing either company announced. And if you're an experienced developer, yeah, if you're an experienced developer, it's easy to poo-poo that. But as more and more workplaces go distributed, as more and more people come into the industry, this is just, just, just for teaching. Seriously, just for oh. teaching and mentoring junior developers, it is going to be huge. I'm going to play around with it. I'm going to maybe this could it. replace Google Docs for us because I don't actually use Google Docs to compose docs. We use Google Docs to compose Markdown. Markdown, yeah, and Visual Studio Code is a Markdown editor. So. <laughs> pretty nice, pretty nice, yeah. Boy, what a busy week, and it's kind of the hangover period now. Uh, there's a couple other little tidbits that uh, I, I would say have, have come out of both. And we covered those on Tech Talk. So if you want to go to techtalk.today, that's Tech Talk. I'm going to go over there right now. Techtalk.today. Yeah. And uh, look for episode uh, 277. And uh, we cover Google Duplex in there, as well as the new features coming to Google Photos and other things like the whole well being focus of Android P are all covered in Tech Talk today. 277. 
which again is at techtalk.today. This show is coder.show. I did set up coderradio.show. Let's see if it actually, I never tested it. Coderradio.show. Coderradio.show also works. Boom. We now have both domains. Job's done. Job's finished. So you can go to coder.show uh, or coderradio.show slash contact slash subscribe, uh, all those things. All the show notes are really simple to get to. Like this week's episode is going to be coder.show slash Three oh, is this eight or nine? This might be three oh. This might be nine. Yeah, three. I'm gonna go change that right there in the doc right now. Boom, three oh nine. So coder show slash three oh nine. I said three oh eight earlier, but that's because I am a dense, thick individual who cannot learn math. I refuse to do it. I refuse to learn math. Mister Dominic, why don't you give people a few things to learn, like where they can find more of you or whatever you want to pimp online? Uh, follow at Dumanuko on Twitter and uh, never learn Swift. Never, never give up. Never learn. That's really the motto of the, no, I can't even with that. They should paste that on the House of the Senate. Oh, we got to come up with a really positive episode next week so that way we don't get labeled as the Angry Coder Radio Show. <laughs> we just do a whole episode on coffee. I don't know. But uh, nice. if you have your ideas, you can let us know. Coderradio.show or Coder.show. Both of those work. Slash contact or go to Coderradio.reddit.com. And why not join us live? We do this show typically on Mondays, although I will be traveling in the future. So it may float depending. We'll see. But go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our lifetime. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you right back here next week.